As we have spent several months implementing a distance learning model, I asked my guest what was the greatest takeaway from her online experience. This week's guest, Rochelle Denae-Poth, shares the role of advanced technology in the classroom and how becoming a student again changed her perspective as a teacher, a leader, and a technology specialist. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Rochelle, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get the chance to talk to you. Yeah, we got a chance to talk during the Teach Better conference, and it was a joy to actually have some time to speak with you and to interact outside of the educational space. And it was just a joy to actually see you in person and to meet you. And I just appreciate, one, having you on for a bonus episode, which everyone needs to check <laughs> out because you provide some great wisdom, but then also having you today to talk about a whole host of things, especially around technology. So before we begin, will you just share with the listeners kind of your educational background and all of the many things that you're doing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on here. And you're right. I love when you get that chance to be at conferences and meet people either for the first time that you've already known for years through social media, but to have that time to connect and talk and learn together. So hard to believe how long ago that was, yes. but uh, it's crazy how fast time goes. And especially now teaching, I've been teaching for I always say a long time. We'll just leave it with a long time. But I've, I've always loved learning. Even when I was a kid, I would play school and never thinking that I would be a teacher. I mean, I was playing the teacher and the student because I was an only child. So what else would I do? Sure. But loved learning and went to Penn State. Wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I grew up and was good at taking French and, and learning the French language and ended up kind of going in that direction and, and graduating with my degree in secondary education, teaching French, but couldn't get a job mm -hmm. with just the French. So then had some recommendations from people of what I should consider as a, an additional certification, ended up going back to school for three years while substituting and getting certified in Spanish. And then I was able to get the job where I've been currently teaching at Riverview High School in Pittsburgh and teaching French and Spanish and also a STEAM course since I've been there. Went back, never got a master's, but decided after I was taking the Spanish courses, I was interested in law and ended up going to law school, which was a really long time ago now. And I think back how many years have passed since graduating from Duquesne with that. And then I did eventually go back and get my master's in instructional technology, which actually between the law school and the master's really did help to re-engage me in teaching and just connecting with students and, and just the love of learning. So it's been an interesting kind of looking back thinking like, did I ever know I would be a teacher, let alone teaching Spanish, which I didn't take in high school, but just you never know where life is going to lead you or what's going to turn to be that one thing that you're really so passionate about. So that's kind of where I've come from in a nutshell. Yeah. And one of your passions and a lot of your work is around technology and um, I'm just wondering right now where we stand in education you know we had to make a major shift going to remote learning distance learning and a lot of teachers feel uncomfortable with technology um, that, that's not their background but then they were thrust into that and now looking at next year a lot of folks don't even know what's going to occur and it seems like it's either going to be remote learning or a blend so I'm just wondering if there was any takeaways that you had during this time of distance learning that would help our teachers and our leaders as far as what is something that can be taken from this experience and adopted for the long term? Yeah, it 
it's been interesting. A lot of people have said to me from when schools first closed and then along the way, oh, I bet you're doing fine with this and you've been using technology in your classes and it was probably easy for you and, and all of those. And I know some of my friends have heard that as well. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I've continued to really say is it didn't matter because nobody was prepared to make that shift so quickly to take everything doing in the physical classroom space to online, not us, not the students, not the families. And it has definitely been a challenge over the last couple of months. But I also feel as, as I've taken time to reflect on it, where I started was trying to put everything from my physical classroom space into the online space and trying to keep everything that I was doing and keep moving with that. And what I found is you can't do that. And so one reason, because not all all students have the access or the time or the space to be able to engage with whatever that we're putting out there for them. And so I think a big consideration moving forward is like, think about what from our classroom experience in the physical space and over this time has proved to be the most valuable and consistent and engaged students. That's at least what I'm trying to do. And now if we go through this again, we have this experience that we can learn from, but then also looking at things, taking a chance on new ideas or, or maybe taking some risks that you never thought, well, I, I don't have time to do this, or it might not go well, or I don't know enough about it. I think it has really been a time to take those chances and embrace some new ideas. And I, I've seen just so many different teachers who for years were kind of hesitant to try technology in their classrooms, really embracing some new ideas. And my hope is that as we go back, and I worry about this for myself too, like when you go back into your classroom space and you're in that familiar area where you were doing your normal classroom routines, whatever it is, what part of it is going to come back to you where you just kind of get back into that routine that you may have had going on that last day before school's closed and just being mindful of, okay, what do I really need to focus on here? And for me, looking at connecting with students and relationships and making sure that I understand them and their needs first, and then what feedback did I get from them? So kind of all of that and having conversations with everybody because not everybody's experience has been great. I mean, for me, I've had Zoom meetings with my students for each class set up twice per week. Now they're not mandatory, of course, but I've had students who have not missed and some who just really valued having that time for something to feel a little bit normal in what has not been a normal experience. Yeah. So lots, lots to consider. I know that you're a Spanish teacher, but you also have your hand in the STEAM world. I know that you are working with technology consistently. So I'm just curious on if there's any emerging technology that's out there that you're excited about that you can't wait to not only bring into your own classroom, but share with other teachers and other leaders about this new and upcoming technology. Yeah. People always say, what is a Spanish teacher doing <laughs> teaching about <laughs> augmented virtual reality and artificial intelligence? But it came to be about, I guess, probably four, almost five years ago now when my school went from having a library to moving, we got a grant. And so we looked at maker spaces and Steve education. And with me teaching languages, the focus on the arts, I had a chance to teach students how to code and build hummingbird robots, which I knew absolutely nothing about at the time. And even after two years of doing that, I wasn't all that much better at it, but I learned a lot from the students, but I had a chance after those first two years to bring something different in. And so that's where this emerging technology course evolved from. And I, I know that a lot of teachers, I was one of them. I thought, oh, I can't do any of this in my Spanish classes because it's not related to Spanish. I mean, it's technology. How can I do that? But I've seen so many different apps and resources being shared and ones that I've used in those areas of like AR, VR, artificial intelligence. And I think especially now, 
if we are going to continue having some form of online distance learning, being able to engage our students in different experiences. For example, I mean, for me, my students would always say, why can't we just go to Spain? Right? Like that could happen in a moment's notice. It can't, but having some tools like through augmented virtual reality where, yeah, we can take a look and take a trip to Spain or wherever Spanish is spoken and students can kind of look around. So being aware of what types of tools are out there um, also, artificial intelligence is, it's amazing. I've just been doing some research on it the last couple of years, but of course a concern is, is it going to replace teachers? And I mean, you could say that with anything, right? With all of the different types of, of work and everything, but with education, some of the things that I'm seeing that are helpful is being able to provide more personalized learning for our students. So there are some platforms out there that, and I've had my students test some of these out, which is kind of fun to do, where I give them an activity to start with, and depending on their response time, if they answer correctly or incorrectly, it then in real time kind of charts their own learning path for them. And that's the artificial intelligence kind of working and adapting. And so pretty, pretty neat to see where that has come from and how much more it's being used. So I'm, I'm curious, just over the next six months to a year, how much more that might be used in our classrooms, especially if we are not able to have those in-person interactions with our students. It's not a substitute, but to have a way to kind of understand and provide better for them when we can't be the ones in that space with them. So what does that artificial intelligence even look like? Just because I don't even have that experience. So I'm just wondering, like for a Spanish teacher or a science teacher or whatnot, what, what does that even look like within the classroom? Well, one example, I mean, Duolingo, if you've ever tried to learn a language and Duolingo is an app based out of Pittsburgh that's created. And so a lot of the components of it are based on machine learning and artificial intelligence. And it just takes, imagine, I mean, when you grade papers, for example, how much time it would take to go through and grade all the papers and get all the numbers and then look at each student's progress and be able to give them feedback. Whereas when you have something, or even like a Google search, I think back to going to the library and having to go through the card catalog, do a decimal system, sort through everything, get a book, and then after 10, 15 minutes realize, okay, there's nothing in this book and start again. Mm -hmm. But if you Google search something, then millions sometimes of results that you get in less than a second, it's kind of like if you equate it to that and make an analogy. So it can take, artificial intelligence can take all of this information, process it more quickly so that then we can look at, okay, here's the numbers. And we can always go back and look at which specific responses or something that students, you know, how they answered, but being able to process that so then we can act upon it and then decide, okay, how can I work with this student, for example, or what activities can I bring to the classroom to help students to learn better in different ways. So being able to kind of sort through all of that information it's amazing how it does that. Yeah. But a lot of people don't realize, I mean, just how much I didn't. When I first started to research it a couple of years ago to write a blog for Getting Smart, it was my way of challenging myself because it's easy to talk about what we're doing in our classrooms and our schools, but I didn't feel like I was learning. I just felt like I was kind of comfortable. And so I couldn't believe when I started to research it, how much we interact with it on a daily basis. So with the coding of the hummingbirds and then you were talking about the AI and the cross-curricular piece where you're using technology with Spanish. How is that preparing the students for the future? And then what are some other things that you're doing that you're excited about that can also translate in the preparation? Because as we have seen in just a short period of time, education is changing and it's going to need to change quicker than ever. Absolutely. Especially just thinking recently with my own students or just students everywhere, 
my juniors, for example, in my Spanish four class had a really challenging year. A lot of them are taking the AP courses or taking the AP exams and having all of that in a regular learning environment in school itself is a lot to take on, but having to balance all of that on your own, essentially went through virtual learning, but having conversations with them to find out, you know, what do you think is beneficial about this? What's difficult? What do you wish would be different? I I've noticed, and I, I tried to tell them, okay, look at the positives. What you are getting now is probably what you're going to experience when you leave high school. If you get a job, you might be working remotely. You go to college, you might have half of your classes online or a portion of them. And so even though you've been kind of dropped into this all of a sudden, being able to kind of work through this will be preparing you for the future because you'll be learning how to communicate, collaborate online and build those connections. And for me, using things like Zoom, for example, being able to hear each other's voices and to answer questions and to play a game, even when we were meeting in class, a lot of those things and activities that we do in our classroom in the normal space, it's hard to kind of make that transition. But when we put something in place, leveraging the technology, it does help students to build a lot of those skills that they need for the future. And I know looking forward, I mean, we talk about collaboration, communication, problem solving, critical thinking, and all of these experiences just now with remote learning, distance learning, but even in the courses from STEM and STEAM where students are trying to make up their own projects, if they're doing things like say Genius Hour or project-based learning, and it's uncomfortable because I know for my students, when we went to project-based learning, they wanted to know what to study, what to create, how they should go about it, what the whole process was. And having to kind of work through that on their own and have their own initiative and set their own goals all prepares them for the future. And all of these different activities that we can do, I know in my own, like the STEM and STEAM classes that we can teach, or even in Spanish, just trying to give them more opportunities where they're leading instead of just taking all of the content that I'm giving to them, basically. And regurgitating it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I and mean, I was doing that for, for years. I mean, I've, I've said, I, I wish I could go back and redo so many years of teaching because I was teaching the way I had been taught. But in my own mind, it worked for me to learn French in high school, for example. And so I figured if it worked for me, then it's going to work for everybody. But what I found out is it wasn't working for a lot of my students. And then that's what pushed me to kind of look at student engagement and giving them different choices and totally getting away from everything that I had been doing and try something different. So I love that there's a theme here because it sounds like you keep pushing yourself in spaces that are uncomfortable for you or maybe an area that you need to grow in, but you take it on and you never knew you were going to be a Spanish teacher and right. go and become a lawyer and <laughs> like all these things <laughs> where you don't possibly have that experience, but you dive in, you learn, and then you you know are now um, teaching all those different things, especially in STEAM and technology. For those who are maybe uncomfortable in that space, especially moving forward and, and seeing what's going to be happening in the future, what are some resources or strategies that they can use to, to better themselves? Yeah, that is, that's something that I've definitely been asked a lot. It's, it's, it is uncomfortable if you feel like I'm the teacher, I have to know everything, I have to be an expert. And that's what I thought for years. I mean, I would not want to try a certain tool or a method because I didn't know enough about it. But we really, if we just teach the students the content or only use the same methods, for example, we're limiting their potential for growth and we have, I mean, the number one thing, and I, this is again, advice that I wish I had taken years ago was I kept myself in isolation. I didn't know about connecting and the, the power of being in a PLN or part of a PLC. 
but being able to connect with other educators, to see what they're doing in their classrooms, to have a group that you can talk to and share ideas. And then it doesn't have to be all the things. I mean, there are so many different ways we connect. Some people prefer to be on Facebook in different communities or to join in a Twitter chat, but it doesn't, you don't have to do all of them. You just need to find one space where you can kind of connect with other teachers to find out, like, for example, I wish I could try coding in my classroom. I don't see how it applies to me. Well, then you find a chat that's focused on coding or you join like an ISTE and find teachers who are in the different networks, like the STEM network, for example, and ask questions about it. But we have to make those connections so that we can learn and kind of push ourselves to do more. Because I know for myself for years, I just was happy to go to school, to teach, to do everything that I had been doing and then to repeat it the next day. But I wasn't growing. And I think that ultimately led to me kind of feeling like I wasn't going to stay in education for like the long term. Of course, that changed when I went to law school and kind of had a chance to refresh my, my focus on teaching and what difference I could potentially make. But it, it takes that first step. And I'm curious too, because you've talked about that a couple of times about, you know, going back to school, becoming a lawyer, and then you also went back and got your master's. Those two experiences obviously are very, very different, but I'm curious on how they translated to make you a better teacher. Well, the, the law school, that was tough because I, I still think now, how, how did I do that? But, and I work long days now, but I don't know, I guess because I was younger and there was a there was a lot of pressure in the sense that I didn't have to do it. And I didn't go to law school to get out of teaching, but going to law school and teaching full time and then leaving school and going to, to school four nights a week for four years, I got to be back in the place of being a student and to experience some serious struggle with learning, feeling uncomfortable. And then I had some teachers there, professors who there was one in particular who I, I credit with being a tremendous mentor, but seeing the way that he taught his class, how welcoming he was to students, how much he connected and shared who he was and his background, his experience, and how much more I remembered the content because of that, it got me to thinking like, I need to be doing something different in my own classroom. And so having that experience plus the connections that I made and building my own confidence. I mean, I, I'm, so different now compared to what I was before I started law school. I would never, I, I still say now, I don't really like speaking in public, but when you're speaking about something that you're passionate about or that you have some level of like, oh, I'm really good at this or something, it changes it. But having those connections and then seeing that different teacher-student relationship and what it means to push all of your work aside and really make time to listen to students. Because I remember the first time I went in to meet with him, I was trying to really think of like three questions that I could ask him very concise because I, did, I knew he was busy. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking into his office and saying, I promise I won't take up more than five minutes of your time. And he just pushed everything aside. He said, I, there's no time. There's whatever you need. That's what I'm here for. And I thought, wow, I haven't been doing this for my own students. Mm -hmm. Plus, and I had other professors, just like that too, that would share their own backgrounds. And so I, even to this day, even though I'm not technically practicing, I still keep up my license, yep. but I still remember everything that I learned from those teachers because of the stories they told, the interactions that they had, the relationships that they formed and the time that they made for students. And so I've tried to kind of model that in myself, but it, it wasn't, it, it was uncomfortable at first because I wasn't used to that in my own experience as a student or for the first 10 years or so that I was teaching. So that definitely made a change. 
but also building my own confidence because I had that support coming in that space made me feel more comfortable taking some chances and risks and, and putting myself out there, even if it meant that I, I was going to fail. Because there were some classes in law school that I gave it my all and I, I just, I didn't get a really good grade and it, it felt terrible, but I still remember everything that I learned. I did the best that I could and it has to be okay with that. So those lessons that I learned are ones that I can bring back to my classroom and I have, yeah. and also the incredible amount of wait time years ago, I would say that students would say, I don't know. And I would try to encourage them and then they'd say, Nope, I don't know. And I could see their discomfort yeah. and I, I would move on. But I had a teacher <laughs> professor in law school that spent three hours on me to get me to answer a question over a two week period of classes. And so I, I joke with my students say, you know what? I got a lot of wait time. <laughs> we can come back next day, but it, it's uncomfortable to go through that. But that's, it gave me that perspective. I always like to say on this podcast that every educator is a leader. And I know that in the educational space, not only on your campus, but across the country, cause you help and I know you consult and I definitely consider you a leader, but for those who may not have a title of an educational leader, how can they make an immediate impact maybe on their campus, in their district, or similar to you, you know, helping people across the country? It's, it truly is just sharing your story and your experience. I mean, talking about what you're doing, good or bad struggles, whatever it is. I, I mean, my problem for years was that I was having problems in the first couple of years with some behaviors and not that they were bad behaviors, just minor challenges and disruptions that everybody experiences, mm -hmm. but also with balancing some of the responsibilities as a teacher. And, and I didn't talk to anybody because I was embarrassed and I didn't want anybody to know that I wasn't doing well. So then I kept myself in isolation, but it's taking that all in and then reaching out to somebody and being vulnerable and saying, look, I have tried everything I can think of. And I just can't do whatever this thing is, or I'm having these problems and, and do this, but then rising above that and using yourself as the example to say, Hey, you know what? I tried this lesson and it didn't go well, or I've been trying to connect with this student and I just, I can't do it. Or I taught this lesson or I responded badly and taking ownership in that all, any one of those things. I mean, it's just using your experience and your story to help others is what I think it comes down to. Yeah, definitely. For our listeners, if there is one book that you could choose that you've written that could help our aspiring leaders, would you just give a quick synopsis of that book? That's not a fair question. I can't, <laughs> I can never pick. It's funny. Sometimes, although one person got me recently because they said, if you could go any one place right now, where would you go? And I, that's always an easy because I, and my friends know, I always say Nashville okay. because I've had so many great experiences. They're writing specifically going there to write. It's just a great space. So that question, no problem. Picking books, honestly, out of the four, I would say the first book that I wrote, in other words, quotes yep. of push our thinking, I love because it's not just my story. It's I've taken quotes, all the books that I've read, my takeaways from them, ask other people to contribute a chapter or short vignettes. Even some of my students contribute a chapter to it. I have a student who drew the cover of it, yep. but it's not just about me. And it's a book that you can pick up and you don't have to read cover to cover. You can scroll through, look at the chapters, find a quote, find a graphic that kind of resonates with you. But it's stories from people from anywhere and they share things. I mean, challenges they've had, 
They're very open and vulnerable. And that's a book that I, I recommend. And it's not just specific to education either. I mean, anybody, I've had people come back and say, I'm not even a teacher. And I loved reading this because of the different stories and the takeaways and the inspiration that they get from those stories within it. And so that probably would be the one that I would recommend. Yeah. It's everybody else's stories. It's not just about me. I love just telling the stories of others because I've learned so much, especially even putting the book together, reading, thinking about what I'm doing in my classroom and how I could improve after reading their stories too, or thinking back to an experience that I had like, wow, I didn't, re- I didn't think about it like that. Yeah. That reflection process is very, very powerful. So let's talk about another project. You are now a podcaster. So I want to learn about that origin story of your podcast and where it came from. I laugh because somebody, anybody asked me about the podcast, well, tell us what it's about. And I said, it's, it's me talking to myself and telling myself my own jokes and laughing at myself. But it, it, it's something that I had wanted to do for a while. I mean, I've been on different podcasts. Thank you again for this one. Yeah. And I wanted to have my students do podcasts in my STEAM class just as a way, even if they just use it and never published it, just to think through things. But I started to use, it was recap, but now it's synth, to have my students connect with project-based learning, to do reflections and to share their ideas. But I had thought about doing my own podcast and I didn't really know what I would talk about. So I kind of let it go. But then back in September, I was talking to a friend and I said, I I would like to do a podcast. I just don't have time. I don't know where to begin. What do I share? And they gave me some suggestions. And so I started in September and I just talked like we're talking now. There were no edits. It's just go and talk. And I've been really good about recording an episode every single week. I know you're consulting and then you're also doing some webinars in the online space. So what are some events that you're doing to help other educators online? When schools started to close in my school district, we don't have a tech coach. And so I started to just set up Zoom meetings on a bunch of different topics that I thought could help teachers, especially elementary teachers who were looking for a way to connect with their students, to read, to do all of the things that they would normally be doing in the classroom. So I think the first week I had about 10 different hours I set up, just whatever they wanted, and I had office hours. So doing those types of things. Every week on Tuesdays, I do a webinar about Buncee, just because that's something my students really enjoy creating with, and I've used a lot, especially during this time. And then Learning Revolution is an online conference. It has been happening or let's see, April, May, and it's going to continue through the summer. But I've done a few sessions on there, which it's nice because people are joining in. I've done some on Friday afternoons. Yesterday, I did one at four o'clock and people were joining in from around the world, sharing their ideas and making connections. And it's just a really great way to learn. Or you can go back and see the recordings. And then over the summer, there are some other summits that I've seen being advertised that uh, I definitely plan to join in and learn from. There have been some this past week as well. But any chance that that we can get to kind of, even if it's not a live kind of joining in, to go back and look at a recording just in the comfort of our own home or wherever to learn from, I think that's really valuable, especially now since for me, June is always the, all right, it's ISTE time, get to go and spend five days learning and seeing friends. And that's not happening, at least not until November. And so having this opportunity to join in through Zoom or whatever the, the platform is to realize there are other people out there and have conversations it it helps to make those connections now i always like ending with some advice so if someone is listening they're starting their leadership journey and they don't know maybe a first step what advice do you have for them 
Wow, that's a big question. I, I guess just looking at what you're doing in your classroom, something that, I don't know, maybe your students, for me, what your students are excited about or what you've tried and it's either gone really well or maybe it's not gone that great and using that as a starting point to share with other people and to reach out. And if you're not connected in some form, and it's not that you have to be on Twitter or on Facebook or anything all the time, it's just having a space that if you need support, that you can go there, but also that you can share what it is that you're doing and share your story. Because even if you're, even if you just reach one person, I always say it might just be that one person that was ready to, to give up. I had that, that happened to me probably a year ago now, a teacher that I know said, I don't think I'm made for teaching. I just, I love what I do. I have fun with the students, but I just, I feel like I, I'm too different. And I said, it doesn't matter if you love what you do, you just keep on going. And, and it was, it was terrible, but I said, just, you have to talk to somebody. And I think had she not talked to somebody, like would she still be teaching? I don't know. Well, I love the content you're putting out. Your books are phenomenal. I want people to make sure that they check out every piece that you're putting out there. But how can they connect with you on social media? It's very consistent. Everything everything is R-D-E-N-E-915. So my blog, my podcast, Instagram, Twitter, rdene 915 Make sure you definitely connect with her on social media. Michelle, you put out like some phenomenal content. It was amazing to, to meet you in person. And I just thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you. It was great to talk to you again, too.